Oscar Wilde once said, I regard the theater as the greatest of all art forms, the most immediate way in which a human being can share with another the sense of what it is to be a human being. Well, my guest today on the program got her start in the theater around the same time she was getting her start as a human being. So she was learning two difficult crafts at the same time at a very young age. I mean, one would be hard enough, but she did both. Who is it? Well, sit tight. You're going to find out. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. You had plenty money, 1922. You let other women make a fool of you. Why don't you do right like some other men do? Get out of here me some money too You're sitting there wondering what it's all about If you ain't got no money they will put you out Why don't you do right Like some other men do Get out of here Get me some money too That is the music of my guest today on the program, Amy Irving. Let me tell you a little bit about Amy Irving. Now, she may have been born in the Bay Area, but Amy Irving might as well have been born in a theater. Her father was the film and stage director Julius Irving, and her mother was the actress Priscilla Pointer. And what happens when you have theater parents? Well, you're in the theater. A lot. And then you're on the stage. A lot. And then it's in your blood, and there's no turning back. Keeping that in mind, it kind of makes sense that Amy Irving got her start on the stage at nine months old. And from there, she never stopped. After studying at the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art, she landed in L.A. and almost immediately started landing role after role in movies and television. What movies and what television, you might be asking? Well, in the movies category, she was in Carrie, Delancey Street, The Competition, Honeysuckle Rose, Yentl, and she was the singing voice of Jessica Rabbit in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. As for television, she was on Policewoman, Happy Days, and Once an Eagle with Sam Elliott and Glenn Ford. Not only was Amy Irving working regularly in those mediums, she was also still a very busy theater actor, appearing in Amadeus, Romeo and Juliet, Blythe Spirit, and The Glass Menagerie. Along the way, she picked up an Oscar nomination, a few Golden Globe nominations, and she won a Screen Actors Guild Award for her work in Traffic. Now, this is all just a partial list. She's done a lot more than what I've just said, but the fact of the matter is, from the big screen to the small screen to the stage, Amy Irving has always been a very busy working actor. All of which brings us to Born in a Trunk, which is Irving's debut album. Produced by Goulis, Born in a Trunk is a 10-track collection of songs that are culled from her life and her career. On the album, she covers numbers by Willie Nelson, Tom Waits, and Death Cab for Cutie. And what's the result, you're probably wondering? Well, not only just a compelling and riveting listen, but also an album whose song cycle combines to tell the story of a life on the stage and a career in the arts. I mean, why write a memoir when you can sing one, right? And let me tell you this, boy can Amy Irving sing. Her precision, her timbre, her effortless phrasing, and her sheer musical poise make Born in a Trunk one of 2023's great surprises. And this 
is a great conversation. So let's get to it. Here's me and Amy Irving having a chat right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. kind of uh, having an outer body experience. I kind of have flashbacks of it. I, I, I don't, I called my son Gabe and I said, did I introduce how insensitive? Because I just can't remember saying that story because mom, you, you did it all when you were there. <laughs> it was, you know, it was my first time doing the show and first time having a paying audience and it was sold out and which was nice. And uh, the audience was very receptive and I had fun. My band, I have the best band, you know, I mean, they're just, they're just not only extremely talented, but they're, uh, they're uh, uh, lovely, warm, supportive people. And they're, they're really, they're really holding me up through this. And they're also excited because it's very different from anything they've done before. So, I mean, we're all kind of stepping into new worlds with this. And uh, Jules David Bartkowski, who, a.k.a. Goulis, is just uh, an extremely beautiful man and and is holding my hand and getting me, taking me on this journey um, between him and, and Gabriel and my husband. Uh, it's just been, uh, you know, I, I, f- I have an amazing support system and uh, and I get to be in a playground with a, a lot of talented musicians, which is really cool for me. <laughs> Yeah. Could you sleep the night before or was it was it was there anxiety? Well, I'm an insomniac anyway, so you can imagine. But, uh, you know, with the right drugs, I managed to sleep. (laughs) You know, I do. I do uh, enjoy my gummies and they do help. They do help. The ones with CBN, you know, put me down. So that's good. (laughs) That's a good cure for insomnia. It is. Is there a part of you that's sort of like. Being on stage like that, does that summon back your theater days where it's like, this is the same electricity, the same dynamism of performing in a play? It's very different. Um, one thing I think my because I've been on the stage all my life, um, I think, you know, even though it's a completely different um, genre uh, uh, doing the getting up and singing, um, it's a. Uh, I feel at home on a stage, I guess, you know, even though I, ha- I, I do suffer from stage fright, I always have, but stage is, a, um, it's, it is a, it's, it is partially a home for me. Um, I mean, you know, I was nine months old in my first place, so it's not a, it's not like a dauntingly strange new experience, but uh, it's very different um, getting up as myself, you know, getting up and playing a character is uh, uh it's 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 frightening for other reasons but uh it's uh you can hide behind a character it is not as it's not as exposing because you may you within the character you may use aspects of yourself but you still have you know a, the artifice of another character um that's you're involved with that you're connecting with um i've uh, i've talked about this before but you know 
getting on the stage, doing a play, which is, I prefer doing theater to film because, you know, you get on and you get to the continuity of starting the show and going, you know, two and a half hours or just staying in that world and, and, and telling the story. Um, sometimes, not, not very often, but sometimes I can get off the stage at the end of a, a performance and realize I had been at one with the character for the entire two and a half hours. Often, you know, things will distract you, you'll get out of character, you will fake it, you'll do whatever, but, you know, you don't usually for an entire performance get to have that incredible marriage of character and self. Um, and it's a real high, whereas when I get up and I sing this show, I'm myself all the time. So the connection and the high is really superb, I got to say. <laughs> yeah. So is that like where with stage fright, is that where does it go into the character then? When Like if you're Juliet, the stage fright can be sort of absorbed by the character. You know, you I really you I have to ignore the stage fright, you know, mm. um, Sometimes, like, I remember when I was in drama school in London, um, that's when I first really noticed how bad it was. Um, I was playing a maid, and I'd come in with a tea set, and you could hear me coming from off stage because everything was jiggling, <laughs> and everything was pushing together. And then when I had to serve things, my hands were shaking so badly, you know. So uh, it's not really it's not really a, a, a healthy thing to incorporate it into the character if you can help it and I only feel that on the first audience after that I can pretty much I can pretty much uh, stop shaking <laughs> but uh, so I don't incorporate it into the character I try not to do that um, I try to I try to uh, uh, rise above it I try to conquer the fears um, it's a challenge it's like every time it's 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 a you're climbing a mountain every time which I imagine is also a little bit thrilling well, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, fear and excitement are kind of two two sides of the same coin, uh, flip side of the other coin, you know, I'm excited, but uh, uh, my mom always said when she was, when she saw how frightened I was, she goes, Amy, you have to not think of yourself as being frightened, think of yourself as being excited. And, you know, if you turn it into something positive, you know, it, it helps. I had a very um, disciplined upbringing in the theater. Uh, this, because I was on the stage very young, um, my parents were very strict with me about professionalism. I mean, even before I was three years old, I was I was bawled out for missing a curtain call once because I was too busy putting more makeup on in the, in the dressing room. And uh, my daddy said to me, he's a direct, he was a director, and he just said, you know, you have been performing for those children. It was children's theater. Uh, uh, and you've been giving and giving, and it's their moment to give back, and you weren't there, you know. And so there I am at almost three years old, like, okay, I'll never be late again. And I've never been late for anything again. I'm neurotic. Most of my neuroses come from that moment. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you but you absorb that lesson. I mean, at at three, I mean, that's sort of a you know, you're you're a, a performer at three. You're putting on stage makeup. You're missing curtain calls. You're getting a, a lecture from your father about discipline and about um, professionalism. And you're three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And daddy, daddy, mom, and mom and dad always, you know, I mean, theater was always um, 
It was about the work and finding the truth of the character and the truth of what the author was and just finding finding in your body the 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 possibilities that you can go with the characters and never ever I guess because also we were in a theater and we were theater people and we were not we were not wealthy people it was kind of like it was never about fame and fortune you know and never you know so I I, I always knew I was going to grow up to be a poor struggling stage actors. When I, when I think about you in the movies, you always projected a certain kind of calm to me. Was was stage fright different on, on a movie set than it would be, you know, on the stage? I think like the first day of shooting, I'm still pretty nervous. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 but uh, I guess I've really learned how to hide it. People don't know that I'm scared. You know, you just, uh, that's just been a lifelong challenge to not let anyone know how frightened I was. Would you characterize yourself as an introvert? No, no. No? No. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I mean, as a child, I mean, I loved being in the theater. I loved showing off. I loved getting in front of people. I mean, I, I mean, it was just kind of, um, I was, uh, 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 I was very outgoing, um, I wouldn't say I'm an introvert now. I'm shy. Yes, I guess that's a, that's what you're asking me, right? Duh. Yeah. Yes, I am shy. <laughs> I am shy, but I also pretend that I'm not. I mean, you know how many times I've had to, you know, imagine a shy person having to go on Johnny Carson. That's just, you know, it's not just the acting stuff. And then you have to be good at that. I don't want to be good at Johnny Carson. I mean, I'm not a comedian. I'm not, I'm not. And and you have to get up there and you have to be entertaining and do this stuff. And it, it's like, you know, that just never, it just never was uh, who I, what, what I was comfortable with, you know, uh, but you have to pretend and you go and you act like you're, I think I acted the movie star at that time. I never felt like a movie star. I never felt like I belonged. I'm sure a lot of people feel that way, but I always did feel like a fraud and uh, and and feel much more comfortable getting out of that world. When you were doing the kind of pretending, did it also kind of, when it was over, did it sort of drain your life force? Did it feel, you just feel like, oh God, just depleted? I don't know if I realize until now what I was doing. You know, I think when you're in it, you're just, you're on the ride and, I was on a quite a ride, you know. I mean, I, 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 I finished my four years of training to be a theater actress. I come back to home, and my parents have moved to Los Angeles, and suddenly I have an agent, and I'm and I'm 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 doing Romeo and Juliet at night at the Free Shakespeare Theater, and Happy Days by by day, you know, the rookies, police woman, you know, and then that, by the time the first year I was there, I got Carrie, so suddenly. Life was just very different. It just was, uh, it just moved that way. Was the plan not to to do both, not to just stay in the theater? Was the plan always to migrate to movies and TV? Oh, no, no, no. No. I never, never, never imagined it. I mean, I I literally, I did four years of training for the stage before I came out to be a professional. I mean, I I was working in New York as a teenager as well, but um, my father and my mother moved to Los Angeles. My dad started directing television. He was directing Every Other Rich Man, Poor Man. Remember that series? And my mother was regular on Dallas. So coming home, it just happened that uh, it was Los Angeles. Had they not left New York, I would have come home to New York and probably just 
the trajectory would have been all theater. Who knows? Who knows? knows? But back in those days, it seemed like it was a little more tribal where it was sort of like theater actors versus TV actors versus movie actors. I always thought of them as three totally different things. Um, But when you were on set with somebody who really wasn't trained in the theater, was it clear their limitations as an actor were, were clear or not so much? Uh, no, no, no. I mean, it, I don't think, uh, I mean, I think when uh, uh, actors get on the stage, it separates the men from the boys, but the 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 film, anybody can be in a movie. I mean, if you're cast right, you don't have to necessarily be a great actor. Uh, you just need to be able to be natural. You know what I mean? Sometimes, you know, if you're not playing a character, if you're, if, if that's who the character is, and often people in film will cast you closer, you don't get as many chances to do character work um, on film. Uh, people tend to be more towards uh, uh, what their real set is. And uh, uh, But if you threw them on the stage, then you would see. On the stage, you see, I mean, certain sometimes they get lucky and they can handle it, but, you know, we do in theater, we work a lot on our voice. I mean, to do eight shows a week, if you don't know how to use your voice, I mean, if you have a screaming scene or a crying scene or an emotional scene, you have to know how to pace yourself. You have to know how to protect your voice. You, know, you have to be able to warm up your voice. You have to use it. And you've got to project. We, you know, when I was on stage, there was never any microphones, you know, you just, you have to project. And in order to project, you have to train your voice so that you can use it and have it resonant, not shout, you know? I mean, the character wouldn't shout, but you have to be able to have the intensity and the, and the vibration of the, of the vocal cords in such a way that it will, will be heard. I've gone to the theater and I've seen excellent, excellent movie actors who can't be heard past the fifth row, mm. you know? And, and then there's those that can, you know? So it's really... You know, some people get lucky and they don't need that kind of training and they can just get up and do it. You know, I don't know. I, I feel like the 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 training uh, gave me uh, the ability. And, and I think also the training gives you the time to stretch your instrument and find out what you've got. Um, when you go into a film, you pretty much deliver the performance that you come in with. You don't nec- you don't have four weeks of rehearsal where a director draws something new out of you and 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 takes you on a road that you didn't think of and and stimulates you in a way that it makes it thrilling that's my favorite part of acting is is um rehearsals mm. if i if i could just rehearse and never perform i'd be fine really yeah oh it's actors playground it's so much fun it's it's the creative process for an actor um it's you know, actors are interpretive artists. We don't write the words. We don't come up with a concept for the play. We fit into it. And so it's really fun to be putty in a director's hands, you know, take me somewhere. You know, I hate it when they love what I do. I hate it when they, oh, well, she's not the squeaky wheel. We'll just leave her alone. I want to be the squeaky wheel. Take me someplace else, you know. I have this bad habit, not a bad habit. I show up first day of rehearsal knowing all my lines because if I get up on the, if if we start blocking a scene and the director wants to f- see where you feel like you might move in that moment, 
I can't tell if I have a book in my hand and I'm reading, you know, I have to, I have to have the words here and go, oh, well, that's when I want to like do this. And that's when I want to move over here or whatever, you know, so, but because of that, I look like I'm already ready. So I'm not the squeaky wheel, you know. So the notes that you would get on a movie set are totally different notes that you would get in rehearsal for a play. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, usually, I mean, it, it depends on the on, on the director and on the on the on the project. But uh, often, I mean, depending on the budget, too. I mean, sometimes you can only get two takes and you got to move on. So you better be know exactly what you're going to do. And there'll be no notes. You'll just if they've got it in the can, they're moving on, you know. Right. Um. One thing I love uh, in 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 uh, I was working with uh, uh, Anthony Page, the British uh, director, when I was doing Heartbreak House with Rex Harrison and Rosemary Harris on Broadway. And uh, one thing when you're when you're doing a run through, the director just writes notes, copious notes, so that after the run through, you sit down with the actors and you talk through. You know, oh well, here you know, if you had if you had given me a little bit of this, and I didn't feel like you were doing this or whatever, or maybe Anthony Page was one of my favorite directors to work with because I he would write and write and write, and then the notes were about what you were doing right, not what you were doing wrong, <laughs> which means you do it and then you take it another step, and then you go even further because then you feel confident in that place, and send you you know it just it doesn't stifle you; it just kind of opens you up. Which is a uh, which is works for some people. Works for me. I I definitely I work well with positive reinforcement. But I bet a lot of not a lot of directors would do it that way. No, none. That he's the only one that's ever right. It would encourage you to open up more and just keep going. It's just it's, it's just like saying you're going. That's the right direction. That's the right direction. Rather than constantly being told, "Don't go there. Don't go there. Don't do this. You're not giving me enough of this." And you know, I, I I I responded very well to that kind of uh, direction. How was Rex Harrison? I loved Rex Harrison. Yeah. Rex and I had a very wonderful relationship. As a matter of fact, um, <laughs> he uh, he used to um, he was very flirtatious with me. And uh, literally, even on the stage when we were sitting on a p- bench together, his his leg would start pushing up against my leg during the show. I was like, "Would you behave yourself?" And one night, one, he would um, sometimes he would um, forget his lines if he if if we had a two show day and he took a nap between shows, he would sometimes have trouble waking up <laughs> for the evening show. And so I got into the habit of taking him for a walk around Broadway between after his nap before his dinner and we just walk and we talk and we got to become very close and and one day he uh he tried to kiss me on the stairway and I just said Rex you're a married man get down to your dressing room and behave yourself <laughs> and, uh, and, and he kind of giggled and ran off and then about 10 minutes later knock at my dressing room door darling don't you think I said get down to your dressing room right now behave yourself <laughs> It was very sweet. Then I went to Rosemary Harris, who was my confidante, and uh, uh, and I said uh, I said, told her what had happened, and and then uh, and then she turns to me and she said, "Oh, darling, maybe for closing night." <laughs> she, she loved Rex, <laughs> <laughs> but he was a lovely guy. But, well, he wasn't lovely for everybody. I mean, he can be he could be cranky, uh, but with with the ladies. 
he he was with me and Rosie. He just was uh, he was a dreamboat. Who were you on stage with where you went, well, this person is a stone cold killer. They're so good. Like, was there an actor you acted alongside where you went, they are just unbelievable. I, I've had two experiences that I can think of right this second. Um, uh, Peter Firth in Amadeus. I mean, Ian McKellen was brilliant, but I have to say, I used to sit on the side of the stage just to watch Peter when I wasn't on stage with him um, playing Mozart and he just killed me. He just was such an amazing actor to watch. I loved him. And um, when I did, uh, uh, about 10 years ago, I was at the Signature Theater doing a, a play that Martha Clark directed called Cherie from, from the Colette book. Um, and it was a beautiful, beautiful little piece of in which the story is told through two dancers, a pianist, and an actor. Um, the dancers were... Uh, Herman Conejo, who was like the lead uh, uh, dancer at ABT, American Ballet Theater, um, from Argentina. And uh, the woman who uh, uh, starred in it was uh, Alessandra Ferri, who was uh, in her 50s now. And she was uh, she had been a huge, huge uh, dancer. Um, she came out of retirement for this because Cherie is the story of an older woman and a younger man. And they just danced. And I was the actor who kind of told the story. And we had this amazing pianist on the stage. And I swear, I just would sit on the side of the stage when they danced and with my mouth open. They were the most gorgeous dancers. You can actually find on YouTube, you can find a, a, a promo for it and you can see them. And And the set was like a Vuillard painting. It was just really something. Must be incredibly inspiring. Yeah, it's really it's really fun when you can get into a new world. You know, I think that's by the time, like by 10 years ago, I was like, I don't want to repeat myself. I don't want to do anything that I, that I know I can do standing on my head. I just, I just, I, you know, I like the challenge, but I also love learning new worlds and, you know, to get into that dance world was so fantastic. And now getting into this music world is so, so, so thrilling for me. Theatrically, what are the aspirations for you? Are there are there projects that you like that you've never done that you'd still love to do? Um, or like, how do, how do you regard your theater career in that, in that way? I'm kind of at the place where if Tom Stoppard wants to write me a play, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> really? It's really gotta be. I mean, I, I had the best time with him when I did coast of utopia. Um, and he's just, I mean, I'm just, a, I'm a huge fan, but, uh, you know, I mean, I got to work with Athol Fugard on Road to Mecca and he was in it and he directed it. I mean, you know, you don't say no to something like that. No. You know, it just has to be extraordinary or I'd rather stay home with my dogs and my husband and and and, and do what I do. Um, I never knew I was going to be performing at City Winery in a month. You know, I mean, that was like never in my never in my dreams. It wasn't even it wasn't something I ever thought I would want to do. And. Then my my son, <laughs> my son dragged me into it, and I'm so grateful to him. He's, yeah, uh, he's given me an amazing gift. Well, you've done, but you've done exactly what I think is the right thing to do, which is for an artist challenge yourself to do something you've never done before, which is probably terrifying, exciting, um, terrifying again, <laughs> right? Yeah, but that. like. 
you've never done this before. And I think the freshness of it must also be incredibly intoxicating. It's very intoxicating. And um, it's also like the, the pressures I put on myself because I was brought up to be perfect or, or I wasn't lovable. Um, so uh, I'm exposing an awful lot here. Uh, so I don't, I, my, the excellence that I achieved as an actor, which, you know, I struggled, I, I, I spent my whole life working on my craft and, and working at being, going for the excellence and going for the truth of, of, of this work. And now getting up on stage as a singer, I'm not going to pretend I'm God's gift to this stage when it comes to singing. I'm not, you know, and I, I'm not, I, but I haven't worked my whole life to be a singer. This is like all new. And if I stumble, I stumble, you know, the other night I, I, I repeated one line uh, from, uh, from, from, from uh, uh, a very famous song. And it's so, but I mean, I survived. Normally I would think, Oh my God, I didn't get that line. Right. You know, but I didn't, Panic. I just I remember I looked at my band leader. I looked at it. I was like, oh, oops, you know. And I don't put the same kind of pressure on myself. I would love to be excellent, but right now I just want to have a good time, and I feel like I have enough of vocal chops to pull this off. I'm waiting forever for you. For this is my destiny. This is what I am. Forever ain't no time at all It's only the time between telephone calls And the love that I hear in your voice Is so clear coming through Keeps me waiting forever Waiting forever Waiting forever for you For this is my destiny, this is what I am to do. But waiting is no waste of time. I just play up the scenes on a stage in my mind. And I love making love to your memory, it's all that I Forever. 
the Amy who was hardwired for perfection in order to be right, feel that you worthy of love. Could <laughs> she have done this 20 years ago or does this represent huge growth for you as a person? I think that's growth as a person and a lot, you know, I have a really good shrink. <laughs> <laughs> I've been uh, actually during, during COVID, I went into some serious uh, psychotherapy and it's been really, I mean, talk about wanting to learn new things. Imagine when you learn about yourself, finally, you know, I mean, certain things that I just was not aware of. And, you know, you get, you go into some really deep, uh, analysis. And it's like, I'm starting to get some of that stuff up and it's starting to dissipate into the world and it feels so good, you know, but it's also really an education. And, uh, uh, I, I, that's another, um, world that's opening up to me. And that ties into this new artistic world that's opening up to you as well. Well, yeah, because what happened was, um, each of these songs that, that I sing in this on this album and during this show, they all came from something in me. The reason I chose each song came from, you know, uh, whether it's whether it's Ken's my husband Ken's in my song, which is "I'll Follow You Into the Dark," or it's uh, 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 from a musical that uh, Daddy and mom and I did when we were, when I was a baby. And then we, my brother directed the film 30 years later of Rumpelstiltskin. It's a song from that. So there's stories about each one, stories about how I came to sing a song that Willie Nelson wrote for me, you know, uh, and he actually sings on the album with me. Um, I can tell these stories. And I think I was always much more private. Um, as I said, I was kind of pretending out there and I'm, just, I'm, I'm not pretending anymore. You know, it's like, I, I don't, I, I have a, I had a big fat life and I have some good stories to tell about it. And, um, I'm not going to be coy about it. You know, uh, I feel like it's honest work. Do you feel lighter in your, in your spirit now that you've reached that place? Yeah. I mean, I think I feel, um, I feel more accepting, you know, I think I really have learned to accept uh, I mean, for instance, it used to bother me so much when I was reduced to being Steven Spielberg's wife or Steven Spielberg's ex-wife. Now, you know, I tell a little story about Steven in this show and it's like, he was, I, I was Steven Spielberg's wife. I am Steven Spielberg's ex-wife. What's the, what's your problem with that? You know, I was more about my identity. Here I am working all my life being to be an actress and I get reduced to that. I want to be my who cares? You know, yeah. that's part of who I was. That's part of my life. It was a big part of my life, you know, and, uh, you know, the same thing with, uh, with, uh, uh, I forgot what I was about to say. Anyway, I mean, that was, it, it's, it's, it's time to like, just ex accept your flaws, accept it. it and tell the, tell the stories, you know, I tell the story about my, my father dying and you know it's just it's nice to share it's nice to be open um having been uh having all of us been so so uh, uh isolated for many years it's to get out there and look at people straight out there and have people looking at you and connecting again and i got to say it feels like stepping back into life you know it's beautiful 
No, it is beautiful. And I love it. You know, I've, I really, during COVID, I thought, okay, well, that's it. I'm never going to work again. I mean, I know that we had already made the album, but uh, we, we couldn't launch it because uh, I couldn't get out there and perform it to present it. Um, so I spent two years singing every day. My husband and I played the guitars every day. I'd record, I'd work on my voice. I studied with Celeste Simone, this wonderful vocal coach, and I just worked so that by the time by the time I'm singing now and I'm learning how to sing on the stage, which is completely different from being in a recording studio, which is also another education I'm getting about 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 all that and the microphones and this. And who knew when I went to one one venue, why does it sound so much better when we did it in my barn? And it was like, well, that's wood. This is where it's all stone. It's not going to have the same resonance. I go, oh, <laughs> OK, got it. You know, Yeah, every room is different. Every room is different. Yeah. Yeah. And, is and, You were saying earlier um, something I really identify with about not feeling like you ever belonged. I've always felt that way too. But now do you feel that like, who cares if I belong or not? Like, do you, is that part of it too? It's great. Cause actually right after the, right after the city winery show on April 10th, the next, uh, next day I have to fly to Los Angeles because uh, uh, there I've been invited to present crossing to Lancy with Peter Riegert. Um, at the uh, TCM Festival, Turner Classic Film Festival, which um, it's the 35th anniversary of, of Crossing the Lansing, it's the 50th anniversary of Warner Brothers, and there's a red carpet they wanted me to go down, and I haven't done a red carpet for a long time, and it's like going back into Hollywood. And I said, well, first of all, I will have just finished my city winery show, so hopefully I'll be just feeling full of myself. And, <laughs> and then I thought, I don't really need anything from these people anymore. I don't really, I don't, I don't need to impress them. And actually, I think they need to impress me now, you know, because uh, I don't think that uh, the industry is necessarily gone in the direction that uh, that I, that is that attractive anymore. I mean, I don't want to be in a Marvel movie, you know? right? Not that any Marvel movie wants me to be in them, but I, I just, you know, it's just. I don't, I don't care, you know? And in not caring, there's a really good chance you might actually enjoy your first red carpet. I know, I know. <laughs> I think I might, because normally it just terrifies me. Uh, but uh, it is, it's going to be, it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be easier. Yeah, yeah. It When I, um, years ago, as a music journalist, I got an advanced copy of the Death Cab for Cutie CD. I took it, put it in my car with a friend of mine, we listened to it. I'll follow you in the dark came on and I had to turn it off because it felt too intimate to be listening to with somebody else. It felt so private to me and so vulnerable. Um, it's an absolutely beautiful song. Um, and it felt, like I said, it felt like I should be listening to this by myself. It felt like solitude. What is it about that song that really resonated with you? Cause it's the only one on, on the album, which is sort of like, that might be a left a left turn in terms of like plot twists, like where did this come from? Um, but how did how did you respond to that song when you first heard it? Well, I was in uh, uh, I was uh, being courted by my husband, my future husband Ken Bowser, and uh, we were in Brazil on the beach, and uh, he played the song for me, and I'd never heard it before, and it's it just it moved me so much. It was just such a beautiful sentiment and it became our song so it's just been a song that it's our song that's all 
And and at the show the other night, Ken was sitting over on the left, and I I had to say because I like to sing it right to him, and it's just nothing like it to be able to sing that song to him. Um, it's just it's just a romantic song, and I do I will follow him into the dark. You know, he's promised to outlive me though. <laughs> Did you also check out some other Death Cab songs? Were you curious about the band? I've listened to them, but I mean, that's the, as far as what I mean. That was it. Wasn't about the art about Death Cab for Cutie. It was about Ken. Mm. Yeah, that was the you know the stories go from the Pino Donaggio song from Carrie, you know, because it was my first film. And then it ends, uh, the show ends with the, why don't you do right? Uh, uh, because I was the singing voice of Jessica Rabbit. Um, and, and the new rendition is completely different from the, from the who framed Roger Rabbit film. But, uh, you know, it really wasn't about artists that I was looking for. The, it, my choices came from the personal connection. Mm. What's really cool about this project is it's sort of like an oral um, autobiography. It's, it's you know, someone said to me the other day, you know, you should write a book. I said, I kind of feel like I did, you know, you I mean, I've, 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 these stories, I mean, there's more to tell, of course, but uh, it's very much, it's very personal, which is also really great because I can't ever forget my lines. Because it's my stories. I mean, I may forget my lines, but I can always ad lib because I really know this story very well. I need a, I know all these stories very well. You're the only person who knows those stories as well as as you do. Well, when you look at these ten songs, I'm the common denominator of these ten songs because they don't belong in. I mean, they're 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 an eclectic group of songs, but I'm the common denominator. What did you look like creatively before this project happened? What was like, was there a daily creative practice for you? Or could you, as a creative theater trained person, turn that off and go for weeks or months without doing anything creative? That seems like it's impossible to me. I can't ever sit down, you know? So like, like during the last couple of years, I became an amazing cook. Hmm. I got, that's my creativity was in the kitchen. Um, and that's, that is an outlet, you know, um, and singing is, a, I mean, I continue to sing every day. I, 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 I was a, before the pandemic happened, uh, I was a, a ukulele, which is, uh, 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 there was a little group in Martha's Vineyard who all played the ukuleles and oh. uh, I was one of the singers and that, I mean, we just played parties and stuff, but, uh, it was, it was, we were a funny motley group of gals. We were, um, it was Judy Belushi, who's uh, John Belushi's widow. Uh, and uh, 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 Kate Taylor, James Taylor's sister. She's yeah. a wonderful, she has, and she, we actually play on her, her album that came out that uh, um, Peter Asher produced. Um, uh, it was uh Joanne Ash, who's actually Seth Seth Meyers' mother-in-law, and it was uh, <laughs> uh, uh, oh, Lori David, Larry David's ex-wife. Anyway, so we were we were all getting together and doing that and learning how to play the ukulele and and doing that. So that was that was fun. You know, it was a little creative, something something different. Are those women that you've known forever? No. 
Oh, no. No. Um, I met Judy uh, a long time ago uh, with Belushi because Belushi was a friend too, but I didn't know, we weren't very close. Um, but the others, no, I met them, I met them up at the island, met them through friends. With the ukulele, the ukuleles, would they get back together again and do some stuff? I think there's, I, I left the group to go join Ghoulis. So I, mean, I they, see. They've continued and apparently they're just really getting really good too. Uh. I was in it. I didn't think we were very good. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned John because I I would imagine had he lived, I would imagine he would have been a great guy on the stage, like in the theater. I could have seen him doing doing a lot of stage stuff. I can't see him being disciplined enough <laughs> to do a lot of theater. He was a wild child, you know. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, he was definitely a good performer on, as far as his his the Blues Brothers singing. Oh yeah, he's a terrific actor, Danny Aykroyd. So the secret to being a great actor on the stage, you need to have that. If that discipline isn't there, it's not going to work. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that there's people who have great success and they behave very badly all the time, and they're late. And you know, I'm sure you know it happens. Uh, uh, I I do think you know. Actors' equity will bring you up on charges if you're late too often. You know, you do get you did you you do have a certain uh, level of discipline that you have to adhere to because you're responsible to other people. But there are selfish actors out there. Yeah, that that oh, make yeah. other people wait for them. Wait for them, or do, let you. Yeah. <laughs> how how is your um in terms of self preservation? I mean, obviously, you've seen excess in your life. But did you, you must have been very diligent about taking care of yourself and being protective of your health and, and avoiding, avoiding excess. (laughs) (laughs) Amy. (laughs) Am I projecting that onto you? How honest do I want to be with you here? (laughs) Um, I've had my, uh, I've had my, uh, uh, my share of uh indulgence um i didn't i'm lucky in that i didn't ever overdo it enough to the point where i have to go to aa meetings you know i mean i'm very happy that i can still have some wine i can still smoke a joint i can still do whatever you know but uh there was a there were some periods there that i was badly behaved i'll admit it that's yeah <laughs> And I'm sure you saw people who didn't, obviously, we mentioned John, who didn't survive that, didn't have, didn't have an off button. Yeah, no, I I always had an off button. I mean, I I always knew, I I always would go so far and then I would pull myself back. Yes, I take very good care of myself. I exercise regularly, I eat really well. I've always, my dad died young of a heart attack, so I've always taken really good care of my heart. You know, you have to keep it exercised, you have to keep yourself you know, it's in the, it's in our genes that we, the whole, all of us three kids that we've always been paying attention. And a singer has to protect their voice. And so there are, I imagine there are certain things that you, that you would do to make sure that voice is protected. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to smoke. That's for sure. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, right. years do, but I'm, I'm not going to do that to my voice. Not as, I have, I've smoked in the past, but I don't anymore. I remember thinking how cool Axl Rose looked in 1991 smoking, but if you listen to him sing now, I think it took its toll. I mean, it does take its toll. 
It does. And just, you know, singing rock and roll takes its toll, though. I mean, you know, that's uh, there's a lot of rasp on it. You know, I mean, I don't know how you do it. I mean, there's one song when I do it, when I I was having so much fun at the rehearsal before the show, uh, we rehearsed a few days before the show and I just rocked out a little bit too much. And I had to go on vocal rest for two days. And I was nervous about it, too, because it was like, oh, oh, I got I can't do the show if I don't have my 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 vocal cords happy. Could you feel that you were kind of blowing it out at the time, or you did? You just didn't know. You were, you got excited. I didn't know, you know, I was so happy to be with them, and 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 the thing is, we were in a small studio, and there are eleven musicians in one little room, and four horns, and so it's you know, I put I put noise canceling headphones on, but it's still, it was just too much fun to hold back, you know. Mm. This time, these next rehearsals before City Winery, I will back yeah I believe myself what was the hardest role on stage for you like what was the the most challenge I know they're all difficult but what was the one that was the the hardest for you um to get a handle on the character I did a play um called written by Zoe Kazan hmm. live here um actually it starred uh, Oscar Isaac um Opening night, he was offered the Coen Brothers film, and that's when his his world changed. But yeah. um, when I I auditioned for it, Sam Gold directed it, and I auditioned for it, and I didn't get it. And um, and then he kind of came circled back and came back to me, and I really knew I wasn't his first choice, and that always made me feel less than, and and. He imposed on me uh, a, a rhythm for the character that was not my own. Um, it was a, he, he, the first first week of rehearsal. I wasn't allowed to take a pause. I had to talk as fast as I could. He wanted he wanted me to be you know he was looking for something different than what I had brought to the table, which is great. You know I'm happy to go. I'm happy to have that challenge. And it was. But uh, I finally sat him down at one point and I just said, I got to tell you, I feel really, I feel so insecure. And I mean, I'm always, everyone, actors tend to be insecure anyway, but it's even worse when you don't feel like you were who you were the director's dream actor for the role. I always like to be the, I like to be the director's dream actor. Well, sure. Yeah. Anyway, he said to me, he was very honest with me. He says, Amy, you weren't my first choice. But my first choice was Jill Clayburgh, and she died. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> so I guess you know he was trying to do kind of the rhythms of her that he had seen in in the role. You know, so after that I felt better. You know, and 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 he and he held my hand a little more and just kind of acknowledged that you know I was have I was struggling, and and he he helped me get past that. Did you know Jill? No. Yeah, marvelous actress. And so much sun in my eyes. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, the oh that there's a lot of sun there. Um and you never did you ever do checkoffs? Yep. I did three sisters. I played all three sisters. <laughs> How was Chekhov? Chekhov is wonderful to play. When I did Masha at uh, the Williamstown Theater Festival, Nico Sakharopoulos directing was just one of the my mother had played Masha and I grew up watching. I mean, I was very young when I saw her do Masha, and uh, so it was it felt full circle too, but um and 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 Nico Sakharopoulos is the kind of director that you know knows how to peel the onion and he knows how to 
crack the whip and get you to go farther and farther. And Christopher Walken was my Vershina and he was he was an amazing actor to be on stage with too, because you just never knew what was coming at you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still go to the theater? Oh yeah. Every week. I see every a show week. pretty much once a week I go to this theater. So as as a trained stage actress, when you go to the theater, can you let the play happen? Or do you find yourself um, noticing things that only an actress would notice? I'm generally a very good audience. Okay. I like to give myself over to it. There's certain things that will pull me out of the reality, pull me out. Um, uh, bad acting will pull, pull me out. <laughs> but uh, bad wigs, just they bother the shit out of me. <laughs> You know, it's like, it's like, you know, when, when it sticks out the back there and it's like, if people don't put that pin there and just make sure it goes down, all you have to do is put that pin there so that the wig doesn't, it's just, it just really gets to me. Bad wigs. I mean, well, what are we going to do now that Paul Huntley died? I mean, he was the best wig maker, although there's some good ones out there now too, but the wigs really do get to me. So you noticed that immediately. Oh yeah, on film too, television. I'm like, I'm allergic to bad wigs, to bad, bad, bad hair pieces. They got to be good, you know. A lot of wigs in Hamilton. You must have seen Hamilton. Yeah, but I didn't notice it. But that was that was the 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 nature of the play, though. I mean, they they were supposed to be wearing wigs. Yeah. You know. Oh, you're talking about actual, just like bad wig. I bad mean, wigs. just badly, badly executed, or it just takes you out of the reality that's all it just you know it's 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 enough that you have to suspend but i mean even worse in film because you know it's it gets you know the close-ups and everything if you can see a a, a wig net it just you know it's okay on the americans because you know they're supposed to be wearing wigs but you know when when you when you when you make the choice to wear a wig personally i would rather just you know sh shave my head than wear a bald cap mm. You, Although you really, when somebody gets a bald cap right, I'm always impressed. It's <laughs> not easy. No. Um, is there a part of you when you're when you're at the theater when you're watching? Is there a party that thinks like I kind of want to get back on there, or or can you take your ego out of it and think like just enjoy this? No, I can just enjoy this. I I, I don't have that much desire to get back on the stage right now, anyway. So uh, yeah. It's, much that I don't want to be on the stage and don't want to do the four weeks of rehearsal, which I would love. As a matter of fact, someone offered offered me a workshop of a of a musical, and I just thought oh, that would be great to just do the workshop, you know. <laughs> but unfortunately, it coincided with the same days I was going to go collect my mother from California. It was during COVID, and I had to move her here, so uh, uh, I didn't get to do it. But that would have been great just to do the workshop. Then I don't have to actually reform it. But you know, eight shows a week is it, it, it takes your whole life away. Yeah. You know? And uh, at the when I was when I was when I was working all the time, uh, uh, the trajectory was to work, and and you didn't think about it. But and then you kind of pull yourself back, and you start realizing there's other things in life. There's a lot of other things to enjoy in life, and 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 to completely. It's not just that you're doing eight shows a week. Uh, it's also when you wake up in the morning, you can't. You have to protect your voice. I mean, you can't, you you just certain you can't. You go to a party after, and you have to you 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 find yourself talking over loud noise, and you realize you're using up your voice, and you have to go home because you can't do that. It's just all about 
it's much more dis it's such a disciplined time and uh uh less time for for you know you can't travel you, I, I live outside of the city now and I have large dogs and uh, it's easier for us to have our dogs out here and uh, you know, to, to move back to the city full time. I don't want to, I don't want to live in New York full time. I, yeah. I you know, I'll go there for a few months, whatever, but um, I, uh, I don't, I don't want to be there all the time. I never thought I'd say that. I thought New York was the only place on earth, you know, but there's other places and uh, there's other, it's very, I like getting out of the intensity of that, that world in the city. Yeah. Well, it looks sunny and beautiful and quiet. Today it is. It's Today it up. is. Just, just to finish up with, I'm wondering, like, is it possible to think past this project and other, uh, for other things that you want to do? Or are you so in this right now that this is, this is all you want to think about? Well, um, my um, my dear friend Willie Nelson is so enamored of Gulis. Um, he loved what Jules did with uh, "I'm Waiting Forever for You," and he's asked me. He says, "Would you just take?" He's written more than one song for me, and he said, "Would you just pick out ten songs of mine and give them to Gulis to do his, you know, arrangements and record them, and I'll sing with you on them all." And I said, sure, I can do that. So that's our next idea. I bet Coolis yeah. loves that idea. Oh yeah, we're all, the whole we're all very excited about this. But we're 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 going to start working on that after City Winery. We're going to get get past City Winery first. You we're have one other show after that uh, in Westport at the Westport uh, uh, Levitt Pavilion. My perception of you is that you've had friendships you've maintained for a long time, like with Willie and with others, and. That's that's really nice to hear that you you know it's nice to hear that you've known people this long and you're still friends with them. Yeah, no, we've stayed really good friends. My, you just made me sad. My, my I had the best girlfriend in the whole wide world. She's not a famous person, but she she worked for a lot of directors. She had been John Schlesinger's right arm. She was Hal Ashby's right arm. She was Steven Spielberg's right arm. So when she was working for Steven. Um, she, uh, he had her work out of his home office and she and I became really close and he had to fire her because we just were having, we, you know, it'd be like, come on, let's go have, let's go shopping. Let's go have lunch. Let's go to the movies. And, but I have to work. And it's like, I said, no, Stephen, you have to find someone else. She's mine. <laughs> and uh, I lost her to cancer a few years ago, but, uh, and I miss her every day. I miss having that one amazing girlfriend, but the, but Ken, my husband, Ken Bowser, um, he's, he's the first husband I've ever had that was my best friend. So I'm covered. You're covered. Yeah. And I, that's, yeah, which is really sweet. And um, I love the way you sing that death cab song, Amy. Holy cow. I love my backup singers on that. Isn't that beautiful? It's a really, I love the arrangement. It's just, it's very, it's very, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's a killer. It's thank a killer. Um, you're so sweet to talk to me. Thank you so much for this. Thank you. Thank you. It was my pleasure to talk to you. Nice to talk to someone from the Bay Area.
Amy Irving. That was fantastic. Really enjoyed that. Uh, I also enjoy her new album, which is, by the way, her debut album, Born in a Trunk. Go get it. Follow her on Instagram. Jump over to Instagram from whatever medium you're on right now. Do the jump. Amy Irving Official is her handle. Follow her there. Pick up the album and uh, enjoy it because I know that you will. AlexGreenOnline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor or on Instagram at Ember's Podcast or just email me. It's the old-fashioned way, I know, but it still works. Editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate and review, and tell all your friends. Don't forget to check out bombshellradio.com to find out what makes our radio station tick. Let's close the show with Amy Irving. Why don't you do right? Enjoy it, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on Bombshell Radio. You had plenty money, 1922. You let other women make a fool of you. Why don't you do right? Like some other men do Get out of here Get me some money too You're sitting there wondering what it's all about If you ain't got no money They will put you out Why don't you do right Like some other men Some